Sonic States Hello everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number 188, recording live on Wednesday the 16th, the 8th of September. Uh, obviously, uh, if, you could, if you're not viewing this now, you can uh, find out what we're talking about by coming to sonicstate.com forward slash live on Wednesday afternoon at around 4pm UK time and there you'll see a video stream and a live chat and all of that stuff so you can listen to us live recording. Of course, uh, the the beautiful um, iTunes version will also be available the next day on Thursday via iTunes and via the site. So, uh, well, thank you very much, um, everybody. Um, nice to see a full chat room. I was a bit worried about it because we've had Labor Day holidays in the US and I know it seems to be as we ramp up and down from a holiday... All kinds of business communication just sort of vanishes from stateside. So I don't know where, how big a holiday it is and whether people plan long, long holidays. Perhaps my first guest, Rich Hilton, can, uh, can enlighten me. Uh, yeah, it's a national holiday. Uh, typically a three day weekend off for everybody. Okay. Uh, not in my case this time, however. It was a working holiday for me. Ah, right. One of those. Music never yep. stops. You must feed uh-huh. the monster at all times. Deadlines, you know. Ah, yes, of course. Tuesday morning deadline? Um, not, well, no, not necessarily. No, but soon, but fast. Impending. Now. Yeah. Well, Rich, of course, um, engineering, producing, playing, working with Nile Rogers in the studio on a daily basis. I guess you're talking, you must be working on something with Nile at the moment. Is that the, the deadline that we are, of which we are speaking? It is. And seeing as how there's status messages about this all over the internet, um, there's a, Chic box set being released in France in October. Right. And it is for that that we toil at the moment. Uh, okay. Well, is that like a kind of remastered or a re-recorded? What's the, what's the deal? I don't know the, I don't know the big picture of it. Ah. And I know there is a big picture to it. And, uh, one, some, like Nile, for example, could eloquently lay it out for you. I don't really know the big picture. I know the four songs I'm working furiously on. Right. Okay. Excellent. Well, we look forward to that just in time for Christmas. <laughs> so, just in time for Halloween, actually, Halloween. You, in October. You're, um, you're joining us from the uh, Le Crib, is that right? It's true. You are actually at work now. I have been working since early this morning, and uh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, I hope, we're not, I hope we're not eating into your schedule and not going to leave you somehow lacking yeah. in time. No, that's why I came early, so I'd have time. And, uh oh. We're overlooking the water here, and it's a beautiful day out. Sun is shining in the cathedral ceiling windows. Nice. Well, Rich, myspace.com forward slash alternatives. Thank you for joining us. And also, um, my other guest uh, this week um, is uh, Dave Spears from G4 Software, back from your holiday too. How was yours, Dave? Yeah, sunny. Well, except a couple of days where it rained, proving thus that the rain in Spain does not fall mainly in the plain, (laughs) but it does on the mountains. Right. (laughs) And I got stung by a wasp for the Mm. first time in my life. In your life? Mm, I've never been stung by a wasp. Really? Where did it sting you, if that's not an impertinent question? In between my two fingers, I was just batting it away and it just got caught and it went, and you can imagine what I was like, swearing and cursing. Oh, that's never <laughs> nice. What are you supposed to do with them? Are you supposed to put vinegar on them or something? I can never remember. After you've squashed the wasp into oblivion, I don't know what to, ammonia says. Mystic Radio in the chat room. I believe so. Yeah, I didn't do yeah, any ammonia. Of that. Good. 
<laughs> just swore um, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. No doubt um, your swearing was building up after your, um, your, as we know, you did that uh, piece on the Optagon for Radio 4, um, in which, of course, you probably didn't swear at all. So I imagine you had a lot of catching up to do. I think I squeezed a bloody in there somewhere. Did you? Did you have to put some money in the famed BBC swear box? What was amazing is that they came down and they spent about four hours here. And and I think the piece was four minutes. And I think my section was about a minute. There's absolutely no use at all about info on the Optagon, really. The licence payers' money well spent there, I see. Did they take you to lunch? Uh, No. You should just tell us. There's there's basically a feature on Radio 4 uh, about the Optagon um, to do with, what was the name of the band? I forget now. Uh, Crash Test Dummies. Crash Test Dummies. It's just come out and it's uh, got a lot of Optican over it, of course, which Dave knows the Optican because he has one and all sorts of... You got How many records have you got for the Optican now? Or discs, should uh, I say? Loads. Nearly all of them, I think. Wow. Mm. Impressive. Are you getting... A, do you get any, can you get any made? Because doesn't somebody make them? Yeah, P. P. Hicks, the guy who runs Optigan.com, actually makes them now. How on earth do you do that? As well. do you, what do you, would you do? Would you kind of print on acetate or something? Yeah, it's an incredibly lengthy process. It's got these amazing lathes. and I mean, it's just stunning, really. It really is. So do you think they have to make a lathe specifically to make Optigan discs? I think it was an old Milner lathe. Right. I mean, okay. it was just... I mean, he knows more than I've... Yeah, well, sorry, he's forgotten more than I know about Optigan's <laughs> valves. He was the guy who... They needed somebody in the UK who had an Optigan, basically, just to sort of wax lyrical, and he, he recommended me. They had their budget turned down to go and visit him in the States, obviously. Yeah, uh, it would have been good if they'd have done section. a phone interview with him, though. Oh, yeah, I suppose. But then they'd have had to work late. Overtime, sure. you see. Yeah, the guy came down was really good. It was hilarious because it got syndicated out to, I think it was North, BBC Radio Northampton, and that was just utterly brilliant. What just they... And I was getting phone calls for like four hours from people going, did I wake up this morning? Because it was prime time, you know, it was like oh, what? something in the morning. Breakfast, breakfast, okay. the, breakfast National Radio. Woohoo. And people just kind of kept bringing me up going, did I imagine I woke up listening to you this morning or was it a dream or a nightmare? <laughs> so one tell guy, me, Dave. What... To... Yep, Sorry, go on. No, you carry on. Tell me again. No, no, no. It's just one guy that I hadn't spoken to for five years. He was a really old mate who used to work for Steinberg, and he called up. So I was on the phone for like two and a half hours catching up. Oh, brilliant. brilliant. I'm just curious, what, what gear did they use to uh, capture your uh, ca- capture the radio thing? Were they, was it a full OB situation, or did they turn up with a couple of handhelds? Do you know what it was? It was a microphone with BBC written on it that could obviously record directly into the mic. Oh, was Digitally. it one of those HHB things? I don't know. Do you know, to be honest, I didn't look. Just a flash recorder, one mic. God, that. So, yeah. And how many people were involved in this particular? A uh... couple of people. Two people. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. No, just curious. So, so do they record the Optigan as well with that? So hold it up to the. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's yeah, amazing. I mean, that was... must be one of those flash mics, I reckon. Um, they yes. came out. Yep. Uh, they came out, I'm trying to think, when did they come out? They were a couple of years ago. We were going to review one once. It just records to compact flash, doesn't it? Great idea. Yeah. He kept looking at the battery, I know that. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> <laughs> waffle, waffle. Oh, anyway, well, I'm sure you had fun. Anyway, thanks for telling us about that. Um, should we move on to our first topic? Because I, I think um, I, I don't want to bring everybody down, but this is this is actually quite a terrifying. And I'm, and I'm hoping I've edited this right because it's quite... Um, 
full of expletives in the bits that I was trying to edit out. So let me just try. One more bottle, we go home. It's up to you. We would like to stay. You want us to stay? We want to stay. You, we want to have some fun. If you don't want to have fun, all you got to do is let us know, and we got no problem. We'll go on our way. Start over. I can't listen to any more. That's terrifying. Um, that was, of course, Guns N' Roses uh, from Dublin in the O2 on the 2nd of September. Um, obviously, you know, they've been getting a lot of flack and, you know, turning up late. That particular show, they were an hour and a half late. And uh, when they showed up, the audience were kind of pretty peeved and were starting to boo them and were chucking things. And, and it wasn't really so much about the Guns N' Roses element of it, although... Um, there's a certain kind of um, inevitability about that sort of thing happening with them at the moment. But I was just thinking about the the, the, the last voice you heard there was some girl who I, a lady who was who was obviously stage managing or something who had to go who had obviously been sent out there to try and placate the audience and it sounded pretty terrifying. They were fourteen thousand capacity, which isn't massive, massive, but I mean, how scared would you be in a situation like that when it's starting to go a bit funny and you're thinking, I don't know what's going to happen here. You know, people are throwing things on stage and, you know, it's kind of, it raises a whole bunch of questions. I don't know, Dave, have you ever been in a situation like that? I mean, what what do you do? I mean, obviously through no fault of your own, I'm sure. I've not, no. I think I'd ask for a pay rise immediately. Yeah, I, I mean... Or a percentage of the takings. Yeah, well, of course, the takings, I mean, I don't know what was going on, you know, refund. People have, now that what they've started to do with the Guns N' Roses concerts, have started to say, no refunds, <laughs> in case they don't show up. Because they've, well, they've just been late every time, you know, and it just seems like a kind of a game or some kind of, I don't know exactly what's going on there. But I, I was just really feeling for the organisers and the people, the crew, and all the people that would have then had to sort of pack up or do whatever in a situation like that. It's sort of... It's kind of scary. Yeah, Rich, what do you think? What do you make of that? I don't know what to make of it because I don't know all the details of why and how they became that pissed off. But I have seen things go awry, but not in that way uh, in terms of live shows and artists having to actually address the audience about what just happened. Right. Now, it wasn't this sort of principal standing in front of the school waving his finger saying, if you do that one more time, it wasn't, it didn't take on that quality actually to be brief about it i once saw john mellencamp give twenty-two thousand people their money back whoa because the power on stage dropped in the middle of a song and didn't come back on for 20 minutes and when he came back out he gave everybody in madison square garden their money back which i thought was a stunning thing to do but, well, but personally that's, that's wow that. that's awesome that's I got bet- nothing to do with this uh, axel I don't know what led to this. And if they were an hour and a half late and that's what led to it, there are a thousand reasons why that could have happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nothing to do with him or them or any of that. And, yeah, sure, everybody loves to hate Axel, and I don't know any reason to like the guy. And I'm not particularly a Guns N' Roses fan, but it isn't about any of all that. It's just about why they were so pissed off and whether – there is no justification for throwing bottles of beer at, at the band. 
Okay, period. End of story. So he's got a legitimate beef with people who, because when you've got liquids on the stage, it's really dangerous. Before oh, you sure. see him say that, there's a guy on his hands and knees at the edge of the stage mopping furiously with towels. So obviously the stage is becoming very wet, which is a very dangerous place to be. And um, I don't necessarily endorse what he said or the way he handled it, but I need to know more about how it got that way to be able to evaluate what his response should have been. It probably shouldn't have been up to him to make a response. If it had to do with their being late, there should have been people representing the promoter out there mollifying the audience in some way. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we didn't see any of the clips of that. I mean, you saw them afterwards, and they tried to get them back on again, but it was that the, the audience were clearly fairly riled. I think that the issue the issue was whatever the, yeah I, I mean I take your point absolutely about the reasons why it might have been late and I'm not really it's not really about Guns and Roses it was more about the how do you handle that kind of thing you know what what kind of what what do you do in that situation I mean you know particularly I'm just you leave, thinking you leave this you leave the stage when it's dangerous yeah, yeah yeah if it's truly dangerous you put your instrument down you walk backstage and you let the promoter sort out how we're going to fix this. Mm. Because it chances are, I mean, I'm no defender of Guns N' Roses, and maybe it was all their fault. Oh, yeah, maybe but... he sat in his dressing room doing nothing while people sat out there for an hour and a half. And maybe he is all those horrible things people think he is. But it also, I don't know that. I can't. No, absolutely. That. I, that's not what I'm really looking for. I was just thinking it's, it's a kind of. I, I saw it and, you know, there was a sort of element of voyeurism about it, but I just was terrified. Just the thought of almost this kind of, um, the mob kind of thing going on there. And that's I mean, scary. not only that, but you know, 14,000 people, 65 euros a ticket. That's nearly a million euros. Yeah. That's kind of big, 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 big money. And also all those people, presumably the O2 you know, arena in Dublin is kind of a little way from people. And all these people have got to try and get home if you're on late and stuff. I mean, all of the logistics of dealing with a situation like that are just, and uh, the, the, the poor girl that they sent out to, to kind of try and placate it and just nobody was interested. It was, it was all getting a bit scary. I don't know. I just saw it well, and thought, that's terrifying. Add to that 90 minutes of people drinking. Yeah, well, well what else are you gonna? What else are you gonna do? Right, <laughs> of course, I don't blame them for it, and I'm not making cast and aspersions here. I'm just saying, sure. If you haven't spoken to them for ninety minutes and you send the band out there, that's gonna be a tough. That's <laughs> that could be tough. It's funny. I saw a very similar, well, not similar thing in terms of uh, audience abuse, but Amy Winehouse was on stage late at the Hammersmith Apollo. And that was quite interesting because people kind of, I've got a feeling she was about an hour late. People kind of were putting up with it for about 45 minutes and then started to get restless. But it was quite interesting because as soon as she started singing, the crowd turned immediately mm. and were completely behind her. You Some know, things just are worth waiting for. But it was like, yeah, it was. A, there was a moment. In fact, I was looking at the guy on the desk thinking, well, the minute he goes, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, there was just that moment where he says about, you know, if you throw any, if you throw any more bottles, we're out of here. And oh, I was that's... reminded of a kid watching the Osmonds when they said everyone was getting crushed at the front of the stage. And they said, if you all love the Osmonds, move back. And everyone moved forward. <laughs> oh, man. I've no, yeah, that's terrible. The um, John Van Eaton in the chat room, who, of course, worked with Guns N' Roses, uh, he said, having been on a rioting stage with G G G Guns N' Roses more than once, the guitar techs would say, 
Sold the synths and drums, they're replaceable. You grab the guitars, you take the, you know, so they'd always just go for the guitars and get off the stage. So it's obviously something that follows them around a little bit, and, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. But, uh, I'm guessing that all of that hype adds to the, the, the kind of terrifying, um, yeah, the terrifying aspect of it. I, I the only, the closest I've ever come to this was, uh, we did a PA in, uh, somewhere in France, and there were about 10,000 kids. And, uh, it was just a regular, regular gig. And we, we were, we were on really, really late. And one of the guys that we brought with us, who was a friend who ju- he just drank way too much because we were on so late and went on stage and just kind of really went for it. And there, there was a, I think it was a Mars bar promotion or something and, uh, or Twixes. That's right. And I started throwing, I started throwing Twixes out of the audience and, um, they just, what they did is open them to create two missiles and threw them all back at me. Um, and it was, that was quite scary. I mean, but it was, it wasn't sort of terrifying in the sort of, there was no hostility. It was just a bit of a game, but yeah, I just, I, I that whole kind of crowd, um, the, like a shoal of fish, you know, the way that it works, you know, it's just so dynamic and so kind of scary. I mean, I imagine you, you've got to have nerves of steel to be able to go out there and address it and try and, try and calm people like that down. I mean, you're going to expect trouble in a situation when it starts to go. It takes quite a lot of skill, I'd imagine, to, to bring it all down and let people kind of thing. But uh, I guess the thing is, you know, big gigs like that, you want to try and avoid being that late because, you know, it's, it's difficult. You know, an hour and a half, you, you, it should have been over by then or nearly over. So. You know, people are going to be put out. Anyway, uh, that was a fun one, sort of. <laughs> uh, but this one's even more fun. i got to play this guy. This is great. This is my favorite topic of the week. Here I modified this Mattel MindFlex toy. I put a, a jack here that has a uh, voltage, a control voltage output that I can plug into the pitch input on this realistic MG1 uh, Moog synthesizer that was manufactured by Radio Shack in the early 80s and uh, is an awesome synthesizer. And here I have it going through a Ross delay pedal, analog delay, just to kind of, uh, it's like an echo pedal. And then, oh yeah, it's going through these little speakers too. I'm going to try to point in the direction I want the pitch to go, see how well I can control it. I mean... Audio-wise and musically, that's not terribly an impressive uh, an impressive demonstration. But the guy was controlling it with his mind. I mean, what the? Did that blow any? Did, did that? Did that make anybody else kind of go, "Wow"? Yeah. Or not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I love this guy actually. I that was I, I should I should say yeah. that was uh, Robert Schneider, singer and producer from Apples in Stereo, um, who has modded and this is the uh, Mattel MindFlex, which basically takes EEG readings of your brain waves and uses it to control a ball, um, which you can then move around through an obstacle course. And uh, he's modded it to to output CV voltage, which just seems like a you know a, a perfectly natural thing to do. But I, I I mean I was kind of blown away by the fact that you could even use your brain for this kind of stuff, uh, even though the results are perhaps not um, particularly musically relevant. But uh, Dave... He would probably make it, he would make it relevant. I think they write some amazing songs. He's a Tron user, actually. I've spoken to him a few times. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and very cool band. Very cool band. He reminds me of that trippy professor from The Fast Show. You remember that? Um, we took four oh, yeah. we, we took yes, we, we took seventeen cardboard tubes and we turned them into. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, very funny. Yes. Um, 
I, I wonder how you could make it musically relevant. I mean, I think the only thing you could use it for is perhaps, you know, like VCS3 type effects. Perhaps that might be, uh, that might, maybe could be something that you could use it for. Uh, because the thing is, it seems like the readings of the EC, the, the, your brainwaves are very gradual. It's very hard to kind of make sudden quantized steppy kind of things. So perhaps it has limited that, uh, but you could imagine the visuals kind of working quite well. I just, uh, just the concept really blew me away. <laughs> what, you mean people on stage dressed up like the thinker? <laughs> no, I mean moving <laughs> things around, you know, so they're actually kinetic, kineticizing. I don't know what you'd call it. Oh, I see. Moving things with your brain. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's kind of was. Although, of I'm course, sorry, Rich, go. Oh, no, I rather enjoyed I thought this guy was funny. I rather enjoyed it. It it got me, you know, into um, you know, I don't like what you're thinking, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> in the in the band we used to have a joke because apparently James Brown would like walk up the aisle of the tour bus and fine people for things, you know, you're late, twenty dollars, you know, or yeah. uh, you know, I don't like your shirt, ten dollars. So uh in our band, the joke became one or the other of us would come walking up the band bus. And, you know, there's 10 people in the band. And I look at the other one, I go, $20. I don't like what you're thinking. <laughs> so, uh, I imagine that kind of fine could be very well distributed. In a, with a, imagine a band full of guys doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like what you're thinking. Well, apparently you can use up to four um, players on any game. So I'm guessing there must be inputs for f up to four I'm not quite sure how it worked with four players, but uh, yeah, it sounds kind of a bit um, a Vulcan bit, mind meld. Yeah, a bit out there, isn't it? <laughs> Your Vulcan mind meld. Hey, I've got uh, Mark Tinley, who has just appeared. I think I will go and get him. He's been reading our thoughts. Because yeah, he must have been. Let's get him. <laughs> Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm all right. Jolly good. We were just talking um, that, well, I should introduce you. Mark Tinley, of course, creative thinker and uh, man about town. Likebeing.com, is that uh, where we're pointing people at the moment? Yes, please. That's and fantastic. Open Boat Orchestra, you managed to join us. Um, I'm glad you managed to join us uh, today. I know you've had uh, had one of those days where it's difficult to, to be there at the start. We were just talking about this Mattel uh, Mindflex. Did you, did you check that out? I saw you left a comment on the news item that I posted on it. Yeah, I did check it out, and it reminded me of something that uh, Nick Rhodes wanted me to buy for him about 15 years ago, in right. about 1995, I think. We saw something called Psychic Labs, and then it was a mind-to-midi controller that you could buy uh, from this company. But it was in Keyboard Magazine, but it was in the April the the April issue. So I kind of thought it was a joke, but I rang the company up and they said, yes, they did make it, but we never quite got around to buying one. But I and was it the noticed... same thing? You had to wear sensors and what have you? Well, what I noticed after I'd left my comment is that somebody else's comment on there linked to another, to a company that seemed to have something to do with psychic labs and also had a mind to MIDI controlling thing. So if there's if you look at the comments, there's another link in there that takes you to possibly ah, the same company. I'll put the link in uh, here now and see if that. Uh, let's have a look. So I mean, I just remember it being like a picture of like a, a kind of a rainbow-coloured person with a a headset on that looked like a headset mic, but with some sensors around the crown of the head. Uh huh. And the idea being that you did some thinking and some no notes came out of your synthesizer. 
I suppose the thing is, if you're turning into MIDI, then you've got a lot more options to actually make it. You know, like you can quantize the pitch, you could you could trigger uh, arpeggiators and things that would be musically more relevant. I suppose, couldn't you? Well, what struck me as interesting about it was that when people have robot hands, they learn how to use the robot hand, don't they? So they can actually sort of think commands and by thinking in different ways, they can make different things happen. So we don't really know what what our motor commands are for thought, do we? So if you had something connected to your head and you uh, thought in a certain way and it did something, mm. then presumably you could learn to use whatever they interfaced with you with your brain it's just a biofeedback mechanism really isn't it i suppose so i mean i think the thing about the, the whatever they're reading that uh, they're it's it's down to kind of waves and it's not quite so you know you're not like talking the speed of the synapse or anything which i'm guessing to to learn to, to be able to read that you'd need something more sophisticated yeah mm. no, it must be reading clusters of clusters of uh, energy in the brain as opposed to reading individual waves but I'd really like to try. Uh, I wonder what. I wonder what. I've just got this image of what you actually have to do. Is you know, you just kind of. It's almost like you're sitting on the throne and you're going, "Mm," and then you stop. (laughs) But I'm sure that's not how you control it. (laughs) Oh man! I I thought that chap looked really interesting, didn't he? I mean, he'd done everything really. He was a one of those guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I like the particularly like the green light. Um, but he's posting. He's going to post some instructions on how to modify your uh, your Mattel Mind Flex. In fact, the Mattel Mind Flex. I was anticipating it to be you know hundreds and hundreds of pounds, but it's in fact eighty. You can buy it now for Toys R Us for eighty quid. Right, eh? cool. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? I think there's. A... I might have to go and get one. Yeah. Cool. You should be able to tell I what I think. Stretch for eighty quid. <laughs> so rich. I can't see yes. perhaps it's working on stage for, for any sheet gigs anytime soon, unless it's um, just, <laughs> you know, maybe modify, modifying reverb lengths <laughs> or very slow string washes. I do want to say I admire the guy. He's fun, and I, I watched a few of his videos, and he seems to be cool, and I'm glad to hear from Dave that he is a cool guy because I, I am. I do find it interesting. I just think it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's got an amusing side to it, but I—I I, I mean, it just blew my mind in a kind of, and not in a corny sense. I was just thinking, wow, that is amazing. It seems I don't understand why it hasn't made more of a splash. You'd sort of think it would make the news more. This kind of mind-controlled toy, but hey, hang on, it's made by Mattel. Yeah, the same people who did the Optagon. <laughs> oh, well, Dave, you've got to get one. You've got to put it on there. your Optagon, yeah. and maybe you can figure out a way to control the Optagon from the Mattel Mindflex. It's—it's no, it's poetic, isn't it? Yeah, perfect. KSR80 uh, says, if you're a psychopathic nutter, will your music sound like Enya? (laughs) 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 I don't know. That'd be interesting to see what kind of um, mental torment and anguish um, translates to to Mindflex um, synth playing. I've I've no idea. It's a good question. But I do have an idea about our wonderful sponsors. Here, do you see what I did there? Wasn't that smooth? We want to say thank you very much to show sponsors, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. Of course, Yamaha are letting us all know about the new Motif XF, which I believe is either shipping or imminently shipping or sometime soon. Um, It's got a lot of stuff to offer. That's 741 megabytes of internal wave ROM. That's more than double what was in the previous XS version. 
Uh, two gigs of flash uh, memory, uh, this optional stuff that you can put in that means you can load enormous amounts of sample data, um, sample libraries. There are also some sample libraries being um, custom produced from uh, some of the big producers that will work exclusively in the motif. Uh, 1,664 voices, 128 megs of onboard uh, volatile sample, sample RAM as standard. Obviously, previously there was no sample RAM, so you couldn't actually sample into it, but this now fixes that. Uh, 512 performances, uh, director USB recording and play back that allows you to do a whole bunch of different stuff there all sorts of effects into insert effects two system effects three band eq for each part eight dual insert effects a whole bunch of stuff to check out uh, that's the motif xf uh, recommend you get to take a look at one in your local yamaha dealer you either go to yamahasynth.com or go from uh, sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha and while you're at it you can check out their wonderful uh, great videos of andy fissenden um, using the DTX 950 drums, which uh, you should check out too. But there's a whole bunch of other things there, more besides. That's uh, yamahadownload.co.uk or just go to sonicstate.com forward slash Yamaha. We very much appreciate uh, Yamaha's continued sponsorship of the show. Just want to say thank you very much to yamaha.co.uk. Woohoo! Ah, uh, well, did you see the teeny tiny USB stick? I can't believe that's so small. The uh, That was the um, Lassie thing. The Lassie, um, what's it called? It's called Mosquito. I think I might be having to get one of those. USB 2. You can actually use it for playback. Four or eight gigabytes. It sticks out six millimeters only from the, uh, from the side of the USB port. I fancy one of those for Christmas. See any yeah. uses for those, Rich? Quick backup. I suppose a lot of your projects, are you working at 96K? I am now. Uh, yeah. Probably wouldn't fit yeah. an awful lot on that. And you wouldn't get a lot of read or write speed from it. I don't imagine not for playing real-time files, but uh, I keep flash drives around, and the fact that it's small is cute to me, but it's not a, It's not like my flash drive, my current flash drive is so big and heavy that it's uncomfortable to bring around. So it's sort of a novelty item to me, but it's a cool novelty item, and it's a cool Christmas gift. And I uh, think, yeah, I'm looking for one of you those. You must send me your address. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should get some Sonic brandy. Well, there's not much room to put Sonic talk on it anywhere, but the one I've got <laughs> at the moment is this little integral thing, which is kind of... Uh, <laughs> rubberized yeah. and folds out like this that's quite cool and that's just a, a, a one gig yeah. one that i use sometimes and that's uh and that's yeah that's i think i might have been even be through the wash once which uh, is is astonishing but that's cool dave yeah. you're going to be getting one of those or a brace yeah i might do I might do you, you thought you could probably could you um you could distribute kind of tron libraries on it couldn't you be, be neat, cool wouldn't it that would really be cool be cool yeah yeah that, Distribution method. Hello. Mark, you going to yeah. get one of those? How much are they then? I think it's 20 quid. Starts at 20 quid for a four gig. So I'm guessing it's probably 30 quid for an eight, maybe 35. I don't know. Uh, no, then. No? I noticed in, no, because I noticed in Aldi when oh, I was yes. buying my apples that they've got eight gigabyte sticks in there for £12.99. And I thought that was quite cheap. And... Um, I'm sure that I've got a micro SD card with four gigabytes on it. They make those with more on now, don't they? They make those, you can get little I mean, flips, I, can't you? I think it's, it's a nice packet package, isn't it? If you wanted to, uh, so if you did want to sell software on something that looked amazing when people got it, then it would be a, a good thing for that. But, um, I don't need one. <laughs> no, I, I don't need one either, but I want one. Anyway. I'll tell you what I want, actually. What do you I want? want? To buy a, I want to buy a Windows XP tablet PC 
an really? old one. Whatever for? Without a keyboard or anything. Because, um, I don't know, I just fancy getting one. Windows XP? A big one. You mm. know, like those things that they, well, Windows XP, because I want to run all my old software on it. Right. But those, those uh, tablet PCs that they use for diagnosing faults in cars, one that a grubby mechanic might get his hands all over and drop on the floor and it wouldn't break. I want oh, to yeah. get one of those. Uh, uh, so I can edit things on the boat, actually. It's, it's ah, okay. Really, like a tough, so a tough pad. It's really robust, yeah. Anyway, um, what should we do next? Should we do the uh, and 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 vining vining? I know I can't even pronounce it. Mark, I know you wanted to talk about this one. I can't. I can't pronounce it. Andvinally dot com. <laughs> this was bizarre. This was. I'm not sure whether this was a joke or not. But basically, the gist of it is, um, when you finally um, shift, you know. Pass off your mortal coil and uh, leave this world. You can have your ashes pressed into vinyl <laughs> and distributed amongst your friends. Or if you get enough press, they will actually distribute it worldwide through reputable record shops. So you can have your tunes, anybody, any other tunes or whatever put on there. It just seemed um, seemed like a kind of interesting idea. But when I looked at the site, it just seemed sort of quite ghoulishly... Um, Humorous, but at the same time, they said, please be aware that despite all the light-hearted attitude to death, all our services are carried out with the utmost respect and care. And Mark, I know that you saw this last week because we didn't have time to fit it in, and you were sort of aghast. Are you still I was so? Absolutely, I was totally aghast, and unfortunately, it's it's got the mechanism of my brain going on the whole idea of this. And um, well. Well, my first comment is that I absolutely love it and I really want to get this done. And then the next comment I suppose I've got about it is that I've been kind of investigating this idea of like what happens to you after you die. Uh -huh. So I, as far as I can tell, the universe is made up of particles and it's a pretty much a sealed system. So the only way to add particles by the, to, to the universe is by some kind of nuclear process. And, the, to, and if you want to get rid of any atoms then you use nuclear fusion to, like, kind of burn them up. But apart from that, atoms, sort of, the, the number of atoms in the universe it's stays finite. roughly the same. Right? Oh, so, sorry, so you so, have your ashes poured into the uh, super collider. <laughs> that would be a way to go. <laughs> now you've got me. <laughs> Even more thoughts. But, I mean, it just, I mean, it's like, you know, I consider the atoms that make up my physical form, my body, these atoms are billions and billions of years old. They've been here since the beginning of... The universe. That's an interesting thought. Form, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of making a record out of it is no different to anything else, really, is it? No, I suppose I'm, if you think about it I in those terms. Like um, Absorber in the chat room says, I worked at a pressing plant, and I tell you, dust is the last thing you want in the presses. That's a very good point. Dave, I know the days of vinyl are gone, but uh, it'd be quite. If you could get a, a nicely designed cover for it as well, it might be quite, uh, quite the thing. You know, better than having an urn on the uh, mantelpiece, wouldn't you say? I think it's a great idea. I love it. What? Any ideas to what tunes you'd have? No, I'd just leave a load of statements about various oh, that's people I've encountered yeah. during my life. <laughs> I never <laughs> liked him. <laughs> <laughs> that Nick. Cool. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> what a great idea. Brilliant. You, you, you yours, the there. Yours, could start, 
Yours I think that's start with sonicstate.com. Oh, no, I, I don't. I could Ready do. to inform you that Nick has died. <laughs> then... What a concept, though. <laughs> I love them, they have taking that oh, idea. No. So you have a sort of dictaphone, and you just, anything you want to get off your chest, just, but, you know, if you feel you're getting a little bit unwell, you might edit it into a series of statements, and you go, right, I'm happy with it so far. I'll continue to add. And then when it's finished, you could, actually, you could distribute it. Forget the vinyl. You could distribute it on those USB most, um, uh, USB, lassie little mini USB keys and send them around to everybody and it would just be a self-playing little media player that just has, dear, you know, I, I just wanted to tell you a few things and get a few things off my chest. The deluxe box set, yeah. What about the ashes in that part of it? You'd have to have... Yeah, oh, I'm not, I know I, what you could do. Can you remember those things that you used to make things out of with uh, resin? See, do you know what, Mark? Resin? I was I was just about to say the word plastercraft. Right. So you get one of those USB sticks and glue it in there with some ash. <laughs> oh, we've got a new product here. Is this too morbid for anybody, or is it uh, light-hearted enough? I know, Rich, you're not. Border, a... <laughs> borderline. 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 <laughs> but it does bring to mind the uh, the funny, you know, the epitaphs, you know, the, the stuff you'd put on Tombstone, you know. What would you put on the record, all right? What would you put on your the The last 12 inches and all that sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Still getting used to the idea that I'm old school, I think, is going up fine. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, it's great fun, um, and um, perhaps one um, you, you can check out. But, yes, he does all sorts of things. You can have uh, you can have parties where they play uh, tunes, and they put on, like, big disco parties. There are all sorts of things that they do, sort of quite unusual services and whatever. It's quite a, a range of services. In fact, um, you can have your pets done as well, but they're about the same price. Funerals from ten grand. Um, two thousand. It costs oh, two thousand pounds for up to thirty discs with artwork, uh, a date of birth, date of death on labels, twelve minutes per side, and have your record record distributed throughout the world for an extra grand. <laughs> anyway, always look on the bright side of life, uh, as uh, as somebody's put in there. Can I can I just say one oh, more thing about it? Yes, please do. I really loved the idea that you have to leave a section of silence in your recording so that after it's played the tune that you want people to hear, they can then listen to the crackling of your ashes, ashes underneath the needle of the record player. I thought that was brilliant. What's that going to do to your stylus, man? Um, probably, oh, and, and I've just had another thought as well. You know those people that listen for um, uh, EM... Oh, God, what's it called? EMV, Electromagnetic Voice Recordings. Have you ever heard of that from Paranormal? Oh, people? is that the, like the thing in um, um, Poltergeist or one of those films? Yeah, if you t if you, if you uh, Google EMVs or Electromagnetic Voice Recordings, you'll find like a whole load of people out there who do it. But Darren Brown kind of went to the United States and followed one of those guys around, didn't he? And uh -huh. kind of basically oh, I didn't said, see that one yet. really think... It was. He basically put it down to the fact that the little recorder had automatic level control, and it, he hadn't really picked anything up at all. But oh, he was mean, just articulating the noise floor. <laughs> he'd have a yeah, but he'd have a, he'd have a field day, wouldn't he? That guy. <laughs> he would, yeah. 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 Anyway, good fun. But um, should we move on to Vince Clark and his uh, uh, amazing or not um, new synthesizer <laughs> series? Let me play you a bit. I think I have something here. This is the Pro One analog synthesizer made by Sequential Circuits. I've used it for bass sounds, brass sounds, blip sounds, percussion sounds, all sorts. And this is what it sounds like.
Vince. Go Vince. So that was uh, the beginning of a series um, of Vince Clark um, new new synthesizers. What's it called? It's called uh, monophonic. Is it, no, analog monologues. Is that what it was called? God, I should have written it down. It's terrible, isn't it? Um, but um, I, I thought it was a really nice idea. Then I saw it, and I just I, I thought perhaps um, I was expecting more from a kind of particularly with the synth like that, which is kind of so much his signature unit. I don't know much about the Pro One. Um, perhaps we should start there and 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 work up to the uh, the, the quality or otherwise of the actual uh, overview. Dave, are you a Pro One guy? I, I don't recall that you were. I don't think you've ever mentioned them fondly to me. No, I had one years ago, uh, but it went really. It just sort of went when I sold some stuff. I was so, looking. Yeah, I like it actually. It's a very nice synth. I think the thing that was really what, what I was looking at it, it looked like it had a really good ability to trigger. So you get that, that, that you get that staccato stuff without having to sequence. That seemed, and, and obviously that was quite um, quite a major thing back in the day without having, having to have any extra hardware. But. Um, yeah. Originally introduced in 1981, it was the f- it was said to be the world's first synthesizer to sell for under a thousand bucks. It was 645 originally and was increased to 745, and over 10,000 were made and sold. All over upstairs, Eric's classic Yazoo album from 82. I don't think that's true. Is it not? Which part? About the first the first synthesizer to be sold for under a thousand bucks. What do you reckon it was? I then? believe I'm pretty sure the. Octave, what was called at that time octave electronics oh, cat the, the cat or the kit. later voyetra yeah. um that company i believe that preceded the pro one but it's close good call there rich now that is Thank you know i i, yes, I was talking about i was selling synthesizers in 1977 so i do remember some of this shit I um, actually we always wanted an octave cattle kit, and they got us. They, I seem to remember they were they were quite well. They're quite sought after. You still see them once in a while, but I guess they're you know they must be getting on a bit. That's a great story, and there was a local synth store. It was a kind of music and white goods store in my town called Rumbelows, and they uh, had a load of octave cats and kittens and stuff in there. And I think every Saturday I used to go in and pretend. I, that I had the money and I was just trying it out and I was going to go and get the money. And then years later, I went to Gordon Reed's house and told him this story while playing with his octave cat. And he said, that very cat there came from that store. That was wow. the same one that you played. Really? You oh, how beautiful. Yeah. Uh, apparently, KSR80 um, says the Prodigy was before Pro 1 too. Mm. Ah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I saw a Yamaha O2R in his studio in the background there. Did anyone get any synth spotting in the background? There was some, a few, uh, a few shots at the beginning when he was sort of establishing where, um, the synth when he was walking in. He's got mountains of gear, mountains of synth. There's a great, there's a clip, isn't there? There's, there is a YouTube thing where he kind of walks in and I think he's mucking around with the ARP step sequencer and stuff. And he just kind of gives you a, a walk-through view of his uh, room. It's amazing. Yeah, the uh, motherboard TV one. I wonder how uh, who services all that stuff. If if Vince happens to be seeking any production advice, <laughs> those videos, those videos that feature the look of his amazing place in Maine, like the one Dave just described, are far more entertaining <laughs> than <laughs> mm. than this thing was. 
I was a bit disappointed. I was expecting some really kind of outlandish stuff from him, but I, you know, I guess just because he's he's got a good ear for melody and you know a synth guy doesn't mean that he's necessarily the the arch synthesist. Maybe that's going to come in um, episode two. I'm looking Maybe forward to more episodes. He's giving us the flat monotone uh, episode one to sort of lull us into a false sense of security, and, and then he'll get excited about it in the next one. Wow, look, it does this. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to be doing um, the System 100 stuff, don't you think, Dave? Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. Maybe he'll do yeah. one I module at a time. To... Yeah, that would be funny. No, I mean, I, I thought it was kind of cute, actually. In fact, it's weird because I didn't see the, the, this particular topic until today, and I looked it up, and then on Facebook there's a guy who's got retrosound.de. Yeah. He put a video of himself with um, Pro 1, and the audio quality is fantastic, and actually he really does manage to kind of squeeze a load of very cool sounds out of it. Can I say something else about, I should have said something about the Pro 1, really, shouldn't I, instead of slagging Vince Clark's uh, Oh, but you, were, you, were you a Pro 1 guy? <laughs> I, the only thing I remember about the Pro 1 is going to the Bat Cave and uh, the guy that, Johnny Slut, I don't know if you remember him, he was in a band with me and my brother after the Bat Cave days, but his main sort of synth was a pro one and uh-huh. it used to, as soon as the thing got hot or damp or anything any atmospheric changes around it it just used to go completely out of tune and it just it had a mind of its own actually if i remember rightly um but luckily he wasn't playing anything too tuneful on it but if he did try playing notes it would just drift off into it like you know half an octave out and oh stuff. really oh, well, and the you know the cv Bolt, uh, whatever it is, you know, the, over the octave, it would just sort of collapse and play half an octave over an octave. And just oh, man, that's not what you need, really, is it? Ever, unless you're looking no. for that particular effect, which would have not to be unless fa- you look really good and you've got like a black Mohican and nobody cares what you play. Yeah, and <laughs> and the, the guy on the front desk has turned it down anyway, which is fairly likely. <laughs> no, you should. Well, t- and he used to play it really loud. It was a very integral part of the sound, but it wasn't particularly melodic. Oh, so, okay. I mean, it's more like a sound effect. He was more like a sort of a Brian Eno for that band, I suppose. He was in in a band called Specimen. Oh, I remember I that. Yeah. Uh, was was the my right in thinking the Pro One was was Curtis Chips or was it uh, pre that? I don't know. I think it's Curtis, but I might be completely wrong. Mm. But yeah, probably is. I don't know, but I must admit, I'm not. I'm not actually that much of a fan of the Curtis chips. They work well for polyphonic sounds, but mono ones are a bit weedy. In my humble opinion. Sorry, KSRH says yes. (laughs) Yes, he seems to be. Is that um, Kent? Yes. Ah, he's the man who knows everything. So I like Curtis chips in conjunction with gritty digital things because they do something to the gritty digital things that make it really nice. Like. Early N Sonics had Curtis chips, didn't they? I think I might be wrong uh, yeah, about may, that. Maybe so. Any, any. Well, how about this? This was uh, a great, um, a great article on ProSoundWeb.com uh, by Carl Winkler, uh, and uh, ten reasons why your live sound may suck, and there are, are ten of them. 
Um, anybody have any particular? I, I like how mix, <laughs> reason number one: lack of mixing skills. That's just kind of. <laughs> I like that as well, but there's all sorts of other ones. Poor gain structure, poor wiring, hearing loss, wireless mics not used properly, uh, time of arrival, loud stage, inadequate, quit, uh, inadequate gear, bad acoustics, promoters, events, coordinators, um, just don't really know what, what real is and have got you a rubbishy PA and stuff. It's quite, <laughs> there's, it's, it's quite a good article actually. And, um, the one that, uh, really, really got me was, uh, hearing loss. <laughs> Um, basically, if you're too, if, if you're, if you're here, if you, if your ears are suffering, maybe you should not be mixing live and, in, and, and, and suffer and causing other people to suffer from your uh, lack of uh, top end as a result. Um, anything in there that sort of rings particularly true for anybody? Number 10. Don't know. Number 10. Can Number I make 10. some up? <laughs> you could do, yeah. <laughs> Um, they, um, yes, the promoter is not the number ten in full. Is uh, they don't know what real is. They've done so much with so little for so long. They don't really have a clue how bad it really is. They hire a DJ with loudspeakers <laughs> on a stick when they need to cover the entire event with a PA, including background music, speeches for four hundred and fifty people, for instance. But yeah, that's I've, I've heard that one. Although having said that, I went to, I went uh, skating with my daughter um, during the school holidays. And I might have said this before, but uh, there's the, uh, a live place in, in Bath called the Pavilion. It's a big hall. Uh, the Beatles played there in the 60s. You know, it's kind of a big dance hall. And they just had a pair of those active Mackie speakers, and it absolutely filled the place. Amazing. I was oh, really wow. shocked. So they were sort of speakers on a stick, and they were kind of okay. I mean, I imagine if you were right up against the tweeters, it might hurt a bit. But, you know, amazing what, you, what the efficiency you can get out of these speakers now. Anybody else, Mark? You can make some up if you don't like uh, any of those. I'm going to go for number 11. The guitarist turned his amp up so loud that nobody can deal with it and nobody can get loud enough, anything else loud enough on stage to hear what they're doing. Okay. That usually work. That's also, uh, that's also covered by, uh, I draw your attention to point seven, which is loud stage, but yeah. I agree. I used to do a lot of sound and that was one of the hardest battles I used to have. In fact, I remember... Um, Primal Scream showing up for a gig before they were big, just literally just before they were big, and the guitarist had, I think he had four four by twelves, and and if anyone's ever been to Moles Club in Bath, they'll understand how inappropriate that is for a room of that size. <laughs> and they wouldn't they wouldn't have any of it, and I just said, well, okay, well, fair enough. And I said, so everybody will be at the bar, which is right at the back, hiding behind pillars, and that's exactly what happened. And then, he, uh, and then, and then, uh, Jimmy Gillespie went and ranted on about how crap dance music was, and uh, you know, I, it's rock and roll. We want rock and roll. And then uh, two weeks later, there's the remix. Thank you very much. Ka-ching. What about number twenty? Uh, number twenty feedback eliminators. Oh yeah, they're funny, aren't they? They do weird stuff. That just so, although they used to, are they not got any better then? I've never, never really used one. I don't think they're ever going to be as good as a guy a monitor engineer with really good ears but i guess they've probably improved but they no. just pull frequencies out randomly, randomly don't yeah they? so if you're holding so a particularly long note think, it'll just disappear go, uh -oh, what's that <laughs> <laughs> something sticking out <laughs> yikes rich anything in there that strikes with you or have you got any other to add i i'm sorry to say not re I, yes everything strikes me is intelligent in this article and no i have nothing to add i guess the um, thing is, is i haven't done i haven't done live sound in a long long time and i used to do it and i love doing it 
and it's a challenge and there's a thousand things that can go wrong. And these are 10 of the things, 10 really good ones that they've chosen. Um, and I don't, you know, I, for the gigs I played, I don't, you know, I don't hear what they're doing and I know that they're good because we hired them for that reason. Well, exactly. Yeah. I've I mean... seen, and I've seen them work. The guy who does, uh, Sheik's European shows and will be doing the UK, what, in a couple of days. Um, is John Ryan. He's brilliant. I watched him work once and he was incredible. And, uh, and I knew right away he was fantastic. So I, I don't really have a lot to contribute to this. Well, that's the thing. If you've got the ability, I mean, I, 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 cause I've done a, a bunch of, you know, not very well funded tours and, uh, those kind of situations where you turn, I remember the turning up at uh, Dave, you've probably played Liverpool, uh, uni, that big marble yeah, yeah, hall. Yeah. That is just a huge marble oh. box. And, um, <sighs> And we had a lot of really helpful students, but what happened was is the PA was delivered. I turned up with the band, and there was a pile of PA stuff in the middle of the hall, and they said, there you go. And so I actually had to kind of set it up and try in vain to tune it with the, for the, you know, and set the whole thing. Nobody knew how it went together, including me, really, and uh, tried to try and get it to sound in any way usable in a room that was almost impossible to get a sound out of because it had a nine-second reverb down to 40 hertz. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, no, that, I remember that being, oh, and trying to sound check a, a, an 11 piece band at the same time. That was a nightmare. That's awful. But, uh, not, not nearly, and I had the same experience in a, uh, giant bus station in Berlin, uh, which probably had a 40 second reverb. And, um, a PA again was just sort of delivered in a pile with very poor, poor, um, uh, electricity. So yeah, it just kept going down. That was, that was very stressful. You just sort of think, I need some help. <laughs> There's nobody to help me. I can't make it sound any good. <laughs> That's oh, awful when God. it happens. That is terrifying. I mean, I just don't know what I'm doing basically when it comes to actually system teching engineering. That's just beyond me. I mean, I know what you're supposed to do, but I, you know, I've no idea the tricks. That's terrifying. Oh dear. Being a victim of number one too often says Howard. Bad. Lack of mixing skills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like to think I can just about pull that one out of the bag once in a while, but I expect my ears are probably a bit shot. Uh, well, that top, that 10 point topic actually managed to last only four minutes. So, um, that's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do for the rest of the show. Maybe we'll cut it short <laughs> unless anyone's got anything further to add. <laughs> yes, I have. Ah, oh, was this the, um, the microphone? <laughs> Ooh, what was that? You sent a link through. Was that the Apollo 11 headset? Yes. I sat on eBay last night. I said to Gina, I really want to buy one of those headset mics, the kind of see-through ones, so that when I do talks <laughs> and stuff, I've got one of them and I can look like Anthony Robbins or something, right? And they're right. going to go, wow, it looks cool. So I, I uh, eBayed, you know, typed in headset mic, and I put in, I thought, well, if I do it by price match, I look for the most expensive ones first, yeah. then I'm likely to see the good quality ones at the top of my list. So there, it, this comes up, uh, headset, microphone, £80,000. And I thought, <laughs> what the hell's that? <laughs> right? So I clicked on it, and it's the real headset that they used for the Apollo 11 moon landing. It's the one that the guy at the kind of base station <laughs> talked to the astronauts through. So there you go, eighty grand. Wow. Well, yeah, but that would have been, what, 1970s technology. I'm not sure it would have been the best quality for your particular purpose, but it would have been very cool. <laughs> it would have provided, it would certainly provide you with a kind of talking point to ease yourself into any public speaking you did. But um, <laughs> It's got a quarter-inch jack on it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, I it must... Have... Like... 
<laughs> it just came at such a perfect time for me because uh, a friend of ours' kid is starting a kind of music tech degree course there. Yeah. And he was, and he was round with his mum. He was kind of sweating over how much money she was going to have to fork out. You know, it's like an Apple Mac and Logic and all this kind of stuff. And then he kind of said, oh, and I need some headphones, Dave. Can you recommend any? And I just pointed <laughs> to this and went, they're the best. <laughs> and, I at it and his mum just went white. Excellent. <laughs> I wondered, has, has the auction ended yet? Oh, brilliant. No, it's, it's, it's on for a... a about 14 days or something. I think it's a long, you know, a and shop. When, uh, where, where is the, where's the location of the said device? Is it uh, Florida? Somerset. Somerset? Somerset. Somerset. Yeah, Taunton. Taunton. What the <laughs> hell is it doing so. there? Last time I checked, there wasn't any, um, <laughs> any kind of rocket launching pads in Taunton. <laughs> How bizarre. Oh, no. I wonder if you buy a collect, you wouldn't want to ship that, would you? You definitely want to fly across the world to pick that one up. And how do you authenticate that one? That's what I'd like to know. Uh, somebody scribbled on it with a silver pen. <laughs> really? <laughs> Property of NASA, do not remove. <laughs> I wonder how it got... Yeah, so somebody thieved it from the NASA building. Interesting. We'd love to know the history of something like that, if you could extract it somehow. But uh, it great. Does, It's got some historical things with it, and it does say on one of the pieces of paper with it, uh, dear, and then he's blanked out his name with Photoshop or something, and then it's a, a note from the guy from the NASA station who sort of says to him, please look after my headset. As a, uh, And I'm sort of thinking, well, he's, you know, he's got that message from the guy and he's whacked it on eBay for 80 grand, which is a bit off really, isn't Has it? Has he had any, uh, are there any people, how many people are watching it? Oh, I don't know. Lots, I'd imagine. Watching the skies, watching eBay. Well, um, I, I, I don't know what to say to that, but a piece of audio history. I mean, I suppose any other kind of historical key, because you occasionally get to see, um, like the, you know, four tracks from Abbey Road and all that sort of stuff. I mean, Dave, you've got some antique, antique gear. Is there anything particularly that you just sort of a partic have a, have a particular longing to have? I mean, we might have talked about this before, memorabilia, but this is sort of audio history. I mean, I suppose what, what would you like to own or what have you got anything that you think is particularly, you know, has a has a certain meaning and, and, and historical resonance for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got a few things. Um, although I think that we have talked about this before. The key thing on my list is um, Stevie Wonder's DX1, just because I quite like to um, get a shipping quote from LA to here for something that weighs a ton <laughs> and then try and get it in the house. Yeah, you might have to misses. move. Just bought another synth, don't you? Um, no, we've got a couple of... I mean, for me, the eight, the eight voice that was that was Chick Corea's R eight voice. And oh that yeah, was, that's that's awesome, isn't it? That's from his seventy eight world tour, and I like all of that kind of. There's something. I mean, I know um, Rich feels differently about it, but I like. There's something kind of magical about certain bits of kit that you, if you know it's been used on something. It's kind of like that. I suppose you can apply it the same same things to guitars, can't you? It's although people sort of tend to think more fondly of guitars than just plain old electronics. It seems like a, a good point to end the show on that sort of slightly wistful note. 
I um, <laughs> want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us. A great, uh, great team in the chat room. Thanks for all your contributions. We really do value it. And if, uh, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, come along. Um, Wednesday, 4 p.m. UK time, sonicstate.com forward slash live is where you need to be. Obviously, uh, you'll be able to see a stream of this on Newstream. Uh, I tend to put it up. Uh, and It's got all the chat embedded, um, even with the phone call that happened halfway through the show. Uh, we don't edit this live stream. It's just the audio version that gets uh, beautified and topped and tailed and all those things but thank you very much to everybody in the chat room and thank you very much to also to our show sponsors yamaha uh sonicstate.com forward slash yamaha um check out what they have to offer MotiveXF and all that and also thanks to my live guests um first of all i'll say thanks to mark thank you for joining us at the last minute sounds like you managed to get a good run at it um did you did you have the, the lad watching something particularly uh, engaging on tv or is he uh, doing something else i I've got. I've created an association with him. I think because I said to him, "I'm going to be doing my podcast today. Do you want to watch something?" And he said, "Yes, cars." Oh, and he which hasn't is... watched that for. I mean, he hasn't watched that since Gina's been at home, and I've been able to do the podcast without him having to watch anything on TV. And suddenly, he's he's got like this association between that movie and the podcast, which is quite interesting. Well, when he's older, he'll be able to. If the stream is still there, he'll be able to listen back. Well, maybe I'll put some podcasts on my uh, my my sort of uh, funereal USB dongle as well. I think you should. You <laughs> definitely maybe. should. Maybe I should. <laughs> <laughs> Might be coming a lot sooner than I think. But uh, anyway, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, LikeBeing.com and also Open Boat Orchestra. I still want to talk to you about um, about that at some point in the future. OpenBoatOrchestra.com also for what else Mark is up to. And um, we'll say thank you. We'll jump to the other side of the world for uh, Rich Hilton. In uh, con- well, you're actually uh, um, live from Le Crib Two, which is the the nerve, the control center of the chic empire. That be fair enough. It is. Oh well, that's fair enough. So, what did you tell me? What signal path you're using? I just like to kind of just like to know. Today's so, signal path. The signal path of the day is yeah. a Telefunken M80 dynamic microphone okay. into a Neve 5302 Melbourne console from 1971 <laughs> into a fairly recent Airfield Audio Liminator 2 uh, stereo compressor that has various switchable transformers in it. That's kind of sweet. Uh huh. And uh, then into a Digidesign 192 that I'm starting to think about replacing. And uh, straight in to Skype. Oh, fantastic. I don't think Skype has probably ever had such a uh, prestigious signal path. <laughs> and to think I will be turning it into 64K mono <laughs> MP3s. <laughs> but I'm sure your voice will hold up well because of the quality of the audio. But, uh, no doubt. But thank you Thanks, very much, Nick. Rich. Really appreciate you coming in and uh, fun. have fun finishing your project and uh, wish you the best of luck with that deadline. Thanks, man. No problem. And that last chuckle, Dave Spears from G4Software.com, back from holiday. Um, you, you you back in and under the thumb or are you just been kind of... Uh, no, I wish I had. It's been... Busy, busy, busy. Yeah, into chaos. Into chaos. Chris was manning everything while I was away, brilliantly, I have to say. And uh, now it's kind of full steam ahead, really. Right. Well, uh, holiday's over. Yes, there are people in the chat room mentioning a certain imp too, but I'm going to leave you to answer or not that yourself through your actions in the coming weeks. It's now imp six. Imp six. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dave, um, thanks very much for joining us. G4software.com. Thank you very much to all my guests and, of course, the show sponsor, Yamaha.co.uk. And um, that's it. It's a wrap. Sonic Talk number 188 is over and out.